It is Thursday, the 29th of February. It's a leap day. Let's pray together the words of St. Faustina together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Help me, O Lord, that my eyes may be merciful so that I may never suspect or judge from appearances, but look for what is beautiful in my neighbor's souls and come to the rescue. Help me, O Lord, that my ears may be merciful so that I may give heed to my neighbor's needs and not be indifferent to their pains and moanings. Help me, O Lord, that my tongue may be merciful, so that I should never speak negatively of my neighbor, but have a word of comfort and forgiveness for all. Help me, O Lord, that my feet may be merciful, so that I may hurry to assist my neighbor, overcoming my own fatigue and weariness. Help me, O Lord, that my heart may be merciful, so that I myself may feel the sufferings of my neighbor and relieve them. Amen. It's a pretty good Lenten prayer, if you ask me. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes if you want to read it for yourself. There's also some Rita Heikenfeld recipes for Meatless Fridays in there as well. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We've got that video feed up and running in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, we'll talk about Dante and why you should be reading him during Lent with Joseph Pierce. Brendan Hodge will talk about vocations and using the uh, Diocese of Columbus as a test case. We'll also talk to Father Robert Nixon about the virtue of generosity, a great theme for Lent when we are all thinking about almsgiving. Also, pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast has some thoughts for breaking bad habits and building new good ones during Lent. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis is back at the Vatican after making a trip to the hospital yesterday. The 87-year-old Holy Father had an aide read his catechesis at his general audience, apologizing to those in attendance, saying that he is still dealing with a bit of a cold. The Vatican says the Holy Father had some diagnostic tests done at the hospital, but did not comment on his condition. He is back home. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis offered more prayers for people suffering from war and violence around the world. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Let us not forget the peoples who are suffering on account of war, Pope Francis said. He noted especially the people of Ukraine and of Palestine and Israel, but also so many others afflicted by violence around the world. The Pope went on to call for prayers for victims of recent terror attacks in Burkina Faso. On Sunday, 15 worshippers were killed in an attack on a church in the northern part of the country, while a second attack on a mosque in the eastern part of the country on the same day left dozens of people dead. In a telegram sent on Monday, the Pope expressed the deep affliction felt on hearing of the attacks and assured members of the Catholic and Muslim communities of his closeness and his shared pain. 
Recalling that hate is not the solution for conflicts, the Pope went on to urge respect for sacred places and called for a fight against violence aimed at the promotion of the values of peace. Pope Francis on Wednesday also called for prayers for the people of Haiti, where crimes and kidnappings by armed gangs continue. According to a recent U.N. report, more than a 1,000 people were killed, injured, or kidnapped in Haiti in January, making it the bloodiest month for the Caribbean nation in almost two years. Just last week, six religious brothers and a priest were kidnapped in the Haitian capital of Port-au-Prince. I'm Christopher Wells. In his catechesis, the Pope continued his series on virtue and vices, focusing this week on the sins of envy and vainglory. He said the basis of envy is the relationship of hate and love, saying one desires the evil for the other, but secretly desires to be like him. And vainglory is excessive pride that has a, quote, craving for constant praise, frequently prone to using other people for one's own ends, end quote. The planned execution of a convicted killer in Idaho was stopped yesterday after medics were unable to establish an IV for the lethal drugs. Medics made eight attempts to start an IV on Thomas Creech to no avail. The Idaho Department of Corrections warden then stepped in to stop the execution. Creech was convicted of five murders in three states and also killed an inmate, which led to the death sentence. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin will be grilled in a congressional hearing today over his decision not to tell the president about a recent surgery. Austin had prostate surgery in January and failed to tell President Biden or the Pentagon for several days. The retired four-star Army general has apologized for how he handled the matter. Austin will face questions from the Republican-led House Armed Services Committee. Republican Committee Chairman Mike Rogers says... It's, quote, totally unacceptable that it took over three days to inform the president that the secretary of defense was in the hospital and not in control of the Pentagon. And today is February 29th, an event, of course, that only happens once every four years. It's Leap Day, the extra day added to the calendar every 4th February to keep our seasons from getting out of whack. Everyone knows the year is 365 days long. But that's not exactly accurate. It actually takes the Earth about 365 and one quarter days to travel around the sun. To keep the extra time from throwing things off, the Romans decided a couple thousand years ago to add an extra day every four years. So I know it feels like we have more time this year. I mean, well, let me let me back that up. I know it looks like we have more time this year, but it does not feel mm-hmm. like we have more time this year. Yeah. Well, like, I would like. How is it already March tomorrow? I, I know, don't understand right? this. Well, that's a good point. Um, even though we have the extra day to prepare for the month of March. Yeah, I mean, um, March is going to have a lot in it. Bear in mind that Easter happens at the last day of March. Mm, There's a lot going crazy. on in March. Yeah. Well, there are four saints whose feasts are on February 29th. They get to be moved. Yeah, they get transferred, though. That means they get moved back and forth. Well, so, yeah, but their feast is February 29th. This is just like I have a brother-in-law who was born on February 29th. Okay. And so he's 
11. Yeah, can we wish a happy birthday to all the people whose He's, birthday is today? I know. Who only who, get this birthday once every four years. Absolutely. I mean, this is kind of a big deal. Absolutely. And just like they transfer their birthday to either February 28th or March 1st, depending on, you know, whether they want to be early or late about it. Um, I would like to wish a happy feast day to Antonia of Florence. Okay. Augustus, There's an Oswald in there, right? Augustus Chapdelaine. A missionary to China, if I recall. Pope Hillary. Yes. And Oswald of Worcester. All right. Happy feast day to all y'all. You would have gotten it this year anyway, but, you know, because we got the 29th, it's moved to today. And if you, if it is your birthday today. No, 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 no. Their what? feast day is February 29th, but moved to February 28th and okay, non-leap so, years. So they so let's start on the 29th mm-hmm. and get moved. Exactly. Okay, as opposed to just being like, on the 28th and getting moved on a leap. Just year. like somebody's birthday is February 29th, but they celebrate it on the 28th. All I can say is that if today is your birthday, you deserve four times the ice cream and four times the cake. Especially if today's your birthday into heaven. It's a good point. Just a thought. <laughs> these, are, these are the kind of things that we talk about on a Catholic morning radio show. It is nine minutes past the hour. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Joseph Pierce. He's visiting professor of literature at Ave Maria University and a visiting fellow of Thomas More College of Liberal Arts, editor, of course, of the St. Austin Review. And you can join his inner sanctum, and you should, at jpierce.co. Joseph, welcome back. It's good to be back, Matt. All right, we're going to talk about Dante and Lent. And uh, some people be, might say to yourself, you know, why Dante during Lent? Uh, but that's probably because a lot of people have sort of glancing uh, knowledge of Dante. They know he wrote about purgatory and maybe a couple of other things. Uh, few people know he even wrote about heaven, right? <laughs> they know about the Inferno and the Purgatorio. But uh, the fact that Dante set his work on the calendar the way that he did makes this make perfect sense, right? Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, basically, that the, the Divine Comedy is is both autobiographical. In other words, Dante's talking about himself. The character of Dante in the story is uh, is a reflection of Dante the author. But also, Dante's an everyman figure, so he represents us. I mean, Dante the character in the story. And yes, you're completely correct, Matt. That that that, um, that Dante chooses the liturgical calendar as the as the backdrop to the story. So the story starts on Holy Thursday. Uh, in the dark wood of sin, um, with uh, basically Dante facing a midlife crisis and trapped by his own sinfulness and can't escape the dark wood, and then he and then he has to face the reality of sin. So he he goes takes a descent on Good Friday uh, down through the various circles of hell, meeting face to face, if you like, sinners that are in 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 hell for each of the seven deadly sins, and then um, he emerges on Easter Sunday morning by the light of the sun, and both forms of sun, S-U-N and S-O-N, at the foot of Mount Purgatory on Easter Sunday morning, and then ascends Mount Purgatory and has those, his own seven deadly sins washed away one by one, and then, of course, he's fit to ascend into heaven for the final part of the journey. So the book is a pilgrimage, and it, in many respects it is a Lenten pilgrimage, and there was a priest, I've forgotten his name, who published recently uh, you know, a, basically a, a, a spiritual retreat based upon the Inferno and the Purgatorio, uh, specifically for Lent. So it is very much Lenten reading. That wasn't uh, Father Pearson, was it? I can't remember. I think it was Father Pearson. Well done. Uh, 
Uh, but I've just, I've just, just, just looking at it now. I just know, I, need, I, I need to look at my Dante. Amazon wish list to make sure. But <laughs> yeah, it's yes. called Spiritual Direction from Dante. I'm looking That's at now. It's, uh, ascending Mount Purgatory, and I actually used it as my Lenten retreat last year. So it certainly is suitable for Lent. Well, some people might not realize this. There are actually a lot of people who do Dante for Lent because of how it ends. Because I think uh, if you do the math right, uh, because it's 40 days of Lent, but you got the weekends, you can do two cantos a day and get all the way through the entire Divine Comedy for Easter. Yeah, you absolutely can. Um, uh, that, yes, that you would be able to do that. By the end of the Easter season, you, you, you could actually be in the presence of the beatific vision, uh, the triune God. Not a bad be, place to be the in the Easter it. season, if you ask me. So, exactly. Uh, well, there are a lot of people who would love to read Dante, and uh, they may want the Cliff Notes version just so they can kind of get the layout of the story. But what would you say to somebody to, say, to, to perhaps go behind, beyond like the sort of like the caricatured Dante circles of hell you know, thought that they have, and really actually read some of this stuff, even if it is a little challenging. Yeah, what I always suggest is either the Dorothy L. Sayers translation or uh, the Anthony Eslin translation. The key thing is you have to have a translation that's not only good in itself, but has very good notes. I mean, Dante's a Thomist, he's a follower of St. Thomas Aquinas, so he's profoundly Catholic, but you, you do need a guide, just as Dante needed a guide, Know, through the Inferno and the, and the Purgatorio. So uh, we need a guide, and uh, Dorothy Say is Natalie Eslin, the good guide. So I would recommend buying one of those translations in one of those editions. Well, there's another kind of cautionary thing here to, to sort of help people, because we're talking literature, right? This is not—Dante's Divine Comedy is not a, a production of the Catholic Magisterium, <laughs> right? This is not something that is, uh, you know, on the way to authority of the Catechism— because there are some people who are like, well, this must be what the Catholic Church teaches about what hell and purgatory are actually like and what heaven is actually like. But that's not exactly what Dante is trying to do here, is he? No. I mean, obviously, we should not expect a work of literature which is telling a story beautifully. That's the point of it. Uh, showing us truth through goodness and beauty to have an imprimatur. So, you know, you, you, don't, you don't read it as, as, as being magisterial, but you can read it as a way of leading you closer to a true understanding of God in the Catholic sense. Uh, absolutely, Dante was a profoundly Catholic man who was a follower of the teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas. So he's, a, so he's a good guide, but yes, he's certainly not an infallible guide, because this is a, this is a story. And we, need, we need to see it as a story, the same way that Christ tells stories in his parables. Dante is showing us ourselves in the character of Dante in the story, uh, confronting his own sins and growing in virtue through a recognition First of all, the absence of goodness, which is sin, but then through contrition, uh, through the cleansing and purging of sin, so that we can be fit for heaven. Well, you mentioned Dante's a follower of St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, but it's interesting that you know his guide through these circles is not Thomas Aquinas, right? Uh, there's some interesting people uh, who he meets along the way. I wonder if you could help people understand, like, why is it that Virgil is the guy? Uh, you know, for a big chunk of this. Yeah, so first of all, there's a great sense of this communion of saints. So very quickly, basically, the Blessed Virgin asked St. Lucy, the patron saint of the blind, uh, to, to help Dante, and she asked Beatrice, who then descends down and asks Virgil. So, so there's this communion of saints going on here. Virgil basically was Dante's mentor. We can say that, um, that Dante baptized Virgil, and otherwise baptized the pagan epic with the Divine Comedy, in the same way that Thomas Aquinas baptized the philosophy of Aristotle, and St. Augustine baptized the philosophy of Plato. So basically, you know, 
um, that, that Virgil was Dante's mentor, but of course Dante, being a baptized Christian, can, ha- can see things more clearly than Virgil could. But as a great poet and a great storyteller, you know, Dante was a great admirer of Virgil, and, and so he should be. Well, and again, Virgil is uh, a, a brilliant mind. I would bet you that if you are uh, involved in any way with classical liberal education, whether Catholic or not, and you're trying to hit great books along the way, Virgil's going to be one of them, even though Virgil is uh, not connected with the life of Christ. He's pre-Christian, right? He's pre-Christian. Uh, but it just gives you a sense of, like, uh, especially as we approach Holy Saturday and we think about what Christ did, you know, in the harrowing of hell. Uh, I mean, I... I I find the the exploration of Dante very illuminating when it comes to that concept of the harrowing of hell. Yeah, there's, there, there are very few works that go deeper into the psychology of sin, quite frankly, but also mm-hmm. uh, but also the uh, the theology of redemption. So you know, we come to understand ourselves in through through our sinfulness, but then through the revelation uh, and and grace that's offered to us, we can we can, those sins can be purged. And we can make the ascent towards heaven purgatorially. I mean, it's it's a wonderful story. The key thing is, of course, you know that, that we mustn't just find ourselves reading the Inferno only. It's like reading the Fellowship of the Ring. I think he read the Lord of the Rings. So the, the Inferno ends with Dante in the presence of Satan. That's not where the story ends. The, the actual story ends with Dante in the presence of the Triune God. All right. Thanks so much, Joseph Pierce. Find his book at sunrisemorningshow.com. We're back with headlines right after this. It's seventeen past. Support is from MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Turn to Mary, the mother of God, for help bearing witness to the gift of life with the National Life Rosary. Designed exclusively for EWTN, the unique centerpiece and crucifix represent the reality that all life is sacred and begins at conception. Help build a culture of life with the National Life Rosary. Available now at EWTNRC.com. EWTN is the global Catholic network. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis is back at the Vatican today after making a trip to the hospital yesterday after his general audience. 
During his general audience catechesis, the Holy Father continued his series on virtue and vices, focusing this week on envy and vain glory. And the Food and Drug Administration says food packaging that contains harmful forever chemicals will no longer be sold in the United States. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, our local listeners have been privy to this series, but our national listeners may not know about it. Every Mm -hmm. day during Lent, or most weekdays during Lent, we've been doing a Name That Saint segment Mm -hmm. where one of us picks a Lenten-related quote. We don't tell the other who it came from, and then we discuss it. The other has to guess, and so on and so forth. I am Uh, currently up on you. I've only guessed one saint correctly i've got a great one for you today Ooh. uh so if you are listening on the national portion of the sunrise morning show and you miss these segments and you want to catch the name that saint things you can go to our sunrise morning show youtube channel again just go to youtube and look up the sunrise morning show that's s-o-n rise morning show find all kinds of cool saint related quotes lint related quotes rather from saints check it out it's 21 past Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. This is Deacon Mark Machuga, a Lenten prayer for spiritual renewal. God, Heavenly Father, look upon me and hear my prayer during this holy season of Lent. By the good works you inspire, help me to discipline my body and to be renewed in spirit. Without you, I can do nothing. By your spirit, help me to know what is right and to be eager in doing your will. Teach me to find new life through penance keep me from sin, and help me live by your commandment of love. God of love, bring me back to you. Send your spirit to make me strong in faith and active in good works. May my acts of penance bring me your forgiveness. Open my heart to your love and prepare me for the coming feast of the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, during this Lenten season, nourish me with your word of life and make me one with you in love and prayer. Help me to pass from my old life of sin to the new life of grace. Prepare me for the glory of your kingdom. Amen. Brendan Hodges joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog online at darwincatholic.blogspot.com. He's author of If You Can Get It, a novel from Ignatius Press, and is a contributing editor to The Pillar. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. Great to be on with you. It is great to have you. And the Diocese of Columbus, the diocese in which you reside, uh, just held a special collection to support seminarians. And I understand that that support is definitely needed um, for good reasons. Tell us about this. 
Yes. So the diocese has a problem which uh, a lot of dioceses would love to have, which is that they suddenly have significantly more seminarians in formation than they're used to supporting. That's awesome. Um, so the class of seminarians they started this year was 16 young men who wow. started formation for the priesthood. And uh, that brings the total seminarians in formation to 37. That Last year they had a total of 25 seminarians in formation. So that's a significant increase. They've normally had somewhere between three and five men going into the program every year. And this year they had 16 starts. So wow. it's, it's a lot more men than they're used to supporting. That's incredible. Um, how many ordinations has the diocese had in, in recent years? So this is a, a pretty big shift. Last year they ordained one new priest, and the year before that they actually had none. Wow. Um, upcoming this year they're expecting to ordain um, five young men. So it, they do have some larger classes coming. But um, but 16 is just massively more than they've dealt with in the past. Yeah, and I'm sure our listeners on St. Gabriel Radio in the Columbus area are quite thrilled to hear this news if they hadn't heard it already, although it sounds like maybe they did uh, if this was a second collection just recently. But um, where does this put the Diocese of Columbus in comparison to the rest of the country when it comes to new seminarians? So it, it puts them in pretty rarefied territory. Uh, taking a look at the number of seminarians the different dioceses have information, if the diocese actually kept up this, uh, this rate, obviously this is just one big class, sure. but if you look at dioceses that routinely have uh, more than 12 seminarians entering each year, there are really only about 10 dioceses around the country that have that many seminarians. And that's a combination of the very biggest dioceses, so Los Angeles, Chicago, Washington, and then the dioceses that are just really, really known for vocations, such as Lincoln. Lincoln, Nebraska? Wow. Correct. Lincoln, Nebraska is in the top 10 dioceses in the country in terms of the number of seminarians in formation. That's incredible. Um, so looking at the Diocese of Columbus specifically, um, do, do they list any reasons uh, to, you know, attribute to this, uh, to, to attribute this spike to anything in particular? Well, obviously the, the Holy Spirit has to be a, a significant factor here. So I, I think uh, you, can't, uh, you can't leave that out. But um, Bishop Fernandez has made uh, vocations a a major focus since he came here a year and a half ago. Um, and so some of the things that the diocese has talked about is um, the importance of having young men who are considering the priesthood be meeting with other priests. So the diocese has set up uh, regional, uh, regional vocations leads, so who are priests who are uh, focused on talking to young men uh, in their own part of the diocese and making sure that they're spending lots of time with young men who are considering that. And then they're working closely with a lot of programs around the diocese. So there's the Damascus Catholic Mission Campus, where they have mm -hmm. retreats and camps. There are a lot of um, young men and women who are uh, just out of high school age who come there to work for a year or two as a ministry. And so the diocese and their priests spend a lot of time talking with the young men in that program about whether they may be hearing a call to the priesthood. They have an annual Andrews dinner, which they have at uh, the Pontifical College Josephinum, 
um, and they've been very active in inviting high school age uh, boys to come to that dinner and hear from bishop and from uh, priests in the diocese about what it is like to be a priest and to follow a call to the priesthood. And then they also have their um, St. Paul's Outreach and Focus um, student groups, which are very active at Ohio State and at other uh, colleges in the diocese. So that's another place where they've talked with uh, a lot of young men about uh, whether they would be hearing a call to the priesthood. You know, this hits home to me, uh, a conversation that we had a number of weeks ago, Brendan, when we were looking at uh, vocation data that you were going through for the pillar and talking about um, what, like actually knowing a priest and a priest actually knowing parishioners when you when you can get to know someone who is in that vocation all of a sudden it becomes a lot more realistic for a young man yeah that was one of the biggest findings that um, the vocations program found there was that um, a really key thing for young men was being told by a priest that they should consider entering the priesthood and uh, one of the things that they found is that a lot of priests actually, although they themselves were told by, by priests in their formation, hey, you should consider becoming a priest, a lot of priests themselves had not actually made that move, had not told some young man, hey, I, I really think you might be having a call to the priesthood. And so trying to help priests get over that feeling that it, it, would, be, it would be pushy or it would be too much to say that to someone and get them to that spot where they would really call out vocations. Yeah. Well, congratulations to the Diocese of Columbus and Brendan. Thank you. Thank you. And you can find Brendan and all of our guests linked on a daily basis at sonrisemorningshow.com. Brendan works over at Pillet Catholic, pilletcatholic.com, as well as Dar- darwincatholic.blogspot.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Pope Francis is back home at the Vatican after going to the hospital for some tests yesterday. The Holy Father met yesterday with bishops of the Armenian Catholic Church and was also present for his weekly general audience. In both cases, though, he had an aide read his address. He told the faithful at the general audience, that he was still dealing with a bit of a cold. After the general audience, the Holy See Press Office says he went to nearby Jameli Hospital for tests, but the office did not reveal any further information. He is back at the Vatican. During his general audience catechesis yesterday, the Holy Father continued his series on virtue and vices, focusing this week on the sins of envy and vainglory. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports. Dangerous vices are envy and vainglory, but there are remedies to combat each. Speaking first about envy, the Pope recalled that the sin, even as early as in the story of Cain and Abel, proved to be a destructive force fueled by resentment toward others that often leads to deadly hatred. At envy's basis, the Holy Father suggested is a relationship of hate and love. One desires evil for the other, but secretly desires to be like him. At the root of this vice, the Pope noted, is a false idea of God, where we do not accept that God has his own math different from ours. The remedy to envy, the Pope suggested, lies in St. Paul's exhortation. Love one another with brotherly affection. Compete in esteeming one another. 
Meanwhile, vainglory, which is excessive or ostentatious pride, especially in one's own achievements, he said, is marked by an inflated self-esteem and a craving for constant praise. This, in the Holy Father pointed out, goes hand in hand with the demon of envy. To combat this vice, the Pope suggested following St. Paul's example of boasting of his weakness rather than achievements, which offers an effective way for overcoming vainglory. Pope Francis urged the faithful to imitate St. Paul in knowing that God's grace is sufficient since his power is made perfect in weakness. As we accept and even embrace our weaknesses, the Holy Father suggested, the power of Christ will set us free for a more generous love of others. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The Supreme Court will decide whether former President Donald Trump can claim immunity over election interference charges. The former president took to Truth Social to thank the Supreme Court, saying legal scholars are extremely thankful for the decision. He added that without immunity, a president will not be able to function properly. In a brief order, SCOTUS said it would hear arguments and issue a ruling. The case is currently on hold, so no trial can happen. The hearing will take place the week of April 22nd. Meanwhile, an Illinois judge has removed Trump's name from the state ballot. The reason for the removal was the 14th Amendment's insurrectionist ban. A stay was issued by the judge on the order giving Trump's legal team time to appeal the deadline, which by the deadline, which is Friday. Russian President Vladimir Putin is delivering his State of the Nation address to Russia's Houses of Parliament today. Mark Mayfield has more. The speech at the Federal Assembly will be delivered to about 1,000 Russian lawmakers and officials. Putin said last week that the speech will set Russia's goals for the next six years and will take into account the internal political calendar. The Russian leader is expected to win next month's presidential election as he's facing no opposition. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Food and Drug Administration says food packaging that contains harmful, long-lasting chemicals will no longer be sold in the United States. Trey Thomas reports. Man-made chemicals called PFAS, commonly known as forever chemicals, don't break down and have been associated with serious health risk. On Wednesday, the FDA announced food packages that contain these forever chemicals will no longer be sold nationwide. I'm Trey Thomas. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin will be grilled in a congressional hearing today over his decision to not tell the president about his recent surgery. Surgery. Austin had prostate surgery back in January and failed to tell President Biden or the Pentagon for several days. The retired four-star Army general has apologized for how he handled the matter. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. The Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Did you give up coffee or caffeine for Lent? 
Be sure to check out the tea and decaf offerings from the Mystic Monks of Wyoming. Find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. When you make a purchase after clicking our link, we earn a commission to help support the show. The monks also have their seasonal favorite Pasca Java available for you to buy now in anticipation of your Easter Sunday feast. And why not add a Sunrise Morning Show mug to include in the Easter basket? Find those mugs and a Mystic Monk Coffee link at sonrisemorningshow.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. In every class of society and in every position, we find the reprobate and the elect. We see Judas condemned and Matthias elected. Judas received far more graces than Matthias. Nevertheless, Matthias faithfully persevered and died a saintly death, while the miserable Judas after being an apostle, became an apostate. This gives every one of us reason to fear, in whatever class or condition we find ourselves, because there are dangers everywhere. By observing our state in life faithfully, we make our lives and wills conform to the will of God. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us on a Thursday morning on this leap day. Father Robert Nixon is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a Benedictine at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We have been going through one of those books, The Paradise of the Soul by St. Albert the Great. Father, welcome back. Thank you, Eddie. It's great to be with you today. It is great to have you. And today we are going to be unpacking St. Albert's thoughts on the virtue of generosity. And I mean, certainly we can think about this in terms of of money, rightfully. Um, But as always, St. Albert takes it to an even higher level than that. So what all is involved Absolutely. in giving away uh, when you're being generous? Yeah, so generosity is not only about giving away money, um, but it's also about to listen to others, which is giving away time, and to proclaim the gospel, which is kind of giving away energy, giving away um, a part of oneself in talking about the gospel, and to explain the teachings of the church. Um, and to provide wise advice. And I think all of these things are particularly important, well, for monks especially, because we <laughs> we don't have money, so we, we can't give away money. But what we can give away is our time in the form of listening to others, which is often something which is so uh, desperately needed in this world, as well as whatever advice or wisdom we might be able to share. And, of course, we can think about what it is that we are giving, but it's also important for the Christian to think about to whom we are giving these things. And that's basically everyone, right? Exactly, Annie. And this is not only people who ask for it, Mm. as it might seem. But he says, even on occasion, to those who, who don't request, actually want them. So, you know, we might offer whatever wisdom or advice or truth we have 
uh, to share with someone else, even though they might not ask for it. And of course, the same applies for help in a practical sense. I mean, often people might not ask us for practical help, but we we can give it to them anyway. So I think this this generosity is called to those who ask, for those who don't ask, and even for those who might be kind of resistant to what we offer them, mm. to offer regardless. And this is the fullness of generosity. But of course, when it comes to, you know, offering my own advice, I need to kind of check my pride here too. <laughs> well, well, I, I think this is, yeah, one of the dilemmas. I mean, we have to think, are we offering advice um, because we genuinely want to help the person or are we offering it out of a kind of pride? So this is one of the questions of discernment, which we always have to exercise. You know, mm-hmm. as Catholics, uh, we we have the truth, we know the truth, but we have to decide when it is useful or beneficial to the other to offer it. And it might be sometimes beneficial to offer the truth, even if it's not welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to do this in a spirit which is which is humble. Well, and our ultimate model for this is God Himself. Absolutely. So, you know, the generosity of God is infinite. We think about it's by his will, by his love, that everything which exists is held in its existence. Mm. And beyond this, he gave his very own self in the form of his son, which, of course, is the son of God, but is God himself. He gave his own very flesh and blood for our salvation and not just for our salvation, but to teach us the truth to bring this message, this message of salvation, even to those to whom it wasn't welcome. And, you know, when Christ was preaching to the Pharisees and those who opposed him, he was actually being perfectly generous. He was giving a gift even to those who didn't want to receive it, who had no gratitude whatsoever. Yeah, you know, as I was reading this reflection from St. Albert, I, I was thinking about the parable of the seeds, you know, like, just scattering everywhere. I mean, talk about generosity, even knowing that that the seed is not going to take root. God still throws that seed out there on on all the types of soil that uh, that he's encountering. Indeed. And I think this is a, a very good model for our own behavior, because we never really know what are going to be the results of any acts we do. Sometimes we we might think that something is going to bear no fruit. It's going to have no impact at all. Yet unexpectedly, it might have a really profound impact on another person whom we never, you know, affect their life for many years to come. And in this respect, we we can imitate the generosity of God, giving to all alike, trusting in all and leaving it to basically to God's wisdom as to how things are going to turn out. Yeah, and I mean, God, of course, gives his entire life to us. I mean, the ultimate generosity, and we are called to do the same because our lives are not our own, are they, Father? Exactly. So everything we have in this world, including our life itself, is not our own. It's only given to us by God um, on trust. So we have this kind of responsibility of of stewardship to make the best of it as we can. And I like to think of the parable of the talents, of the person who is given talents and needs to make profit with them. 
So when we give away, we're doing it all in the context of God. So we should have faith in his ultimate providence. So whatever we give in his name, um, I mean, it's going to turn out well, even if it might not be in a way that we can see it. In the realm of the invisible, of the infinite, in the realm of the soul, this is producing fruits which we can scarcely begin to imagine. Father, can you talk about how St. Albert uh, distinguishes between true and false generosity? Yes. So true generosity is when we give without any consideration or hope of reward or recognition. And this is the kind of um, giving where, as Christ said, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. We're doing this purely in the sight of God purely for the sake of, of his commandment and and for the sake of love of him. Um, and then, on the contrary, a sign of false generosity is when we're kind of considering, what are we going to get out of this? Is anyone going to be recognizing this? Are we going to get praise for this? Um, are we going to distinguish ourselves for being generous? So this is, in fact, not real generosity, but is merely a kind of deal that we're doing mm -hmm. to give a certain amount and to get a certain amount of recognition in reward. So I think the key to generosity is that we do it. We can't always do it. It's true. But at the same time, we should do it, you know, just because we sense it is the thing which God wants us to do, not because of hope of any earthly reward or recognition. And St. Albert always challenging us with these virtues. Father, could you uh, close with, with some of his prayer for generosity? Absolutely. Um, o Lord, you are infinitely and unimaginably generous, for you confer to all your creatures not only existence itself and all that is necessary for their survival, but also the gift of your very own self. Grant me the grace to imitate your wonderful and selfless generosity to the extent that I am able. You exhibit generosity in a particular way to human beings, Lord, for you gave your own as the food in the most holy sacrament of the altar, and you generously opened the font of heavenly mercy to all persons, even to your enemies and persecutors. May I recognize that in giving to my brothers and sisters in need, I am really giving to you, and I am giving to you only what is already rightfully yours. Through doing this, may I come at last to that wonderful salvation and glory which you so generously purchased for me at the price of your own precious blood. Amen. Amen. We've been talking to uh, Father Robert Nixon. The book is called The Paradise of the Soul by St. Albert the Great. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, I know you don't do this for my gratitude or for any praise, but we are so grateful for the generosity that you have toward the Sunrise Morning Show and giving of your time each week to talk about these things. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Annie. God bless you and God bless all your listeners for this leap year day. Oh, thank you very much, Father, you as well. All right, our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, joins us next. It's 13 Till. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. 
Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Did you give up coffee or caffeine for Lent? Be sure to check out the tea and decaf offerings from the Mystic Monks of Wyoming. Find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. When you make a purchase after clicking our link, we earn a commission to help support the show. The monks also have their seasonal favorite Pasca Java available for you to buy now in anticipation of your Easter Sunday feast. And why not add a Sunrise Morning Show mug to include in the Easter basket? Find those mugs and a Mystic Monk Coffee link at sonrisemorningshow.com. The most original Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. On Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Father Joseph and Doug Keck mine decades of phone calls answered by Mother Angelica. No subject is off limits and no problem too big for the wisdom and compassion of the one and only Mother Angelica. Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Sunday afternoon, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. We continue through this season of Lent and we are all, I think, dealing with various degrees of success and failure through the season of Lent, I think a lot of us want to just try and crack bad habits, maybe start some new ones, and it just so happens that we have a pastoral counselor who joins us every week, a licensed counselor with decades of experience both in private practice and in helping to form seminarians, Kevin Prendergast, with us to help crack into some of those issues. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. All right, so let's talk about habits. Uh, I think mm -hmm. that everyone wants to crack some old bad habits, uh, wants to start some good new ones. What's some of the uh, the framework we should have if we want to even start talking about this stuff? Yeah, I think the first thing is uh, self-knowledge or self-awareness, which uh, habits become automatic. So they kind of bypass our brain. <laughs> they just are, after a while, they get hardwired. It takes a couple months to do that. But once they're embedded, uh, it's really hard to change them. So just you know, during this season of Lent, we, we do some reflection so we can think about uh, what our behavior is or what we're avoiding. That's another, actually, avoidance is a behavior. <laughs> I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with that right now. And that's a big problem that a lot of us have. So let's let's talk about the, there's a couple of things about habit formation. <clears throat> so, the, so the one is at the front end, and we can talk about triggers or cues uh, the antecedents of an action. So that might be a mood, you know, I'm in a bad mood or I'm frustrated, I'm lonely, I'm stressed. And so then I, you know, that's kind of the the, the bubbling mix there uh, that gets me to get back into the habit. And after a while it gets linked because the other end of it is every habit uh, 
has at some point been reinforced. So you know what, something. as you're saying this, all I can think of mm-hmm. is the, the language the church uses for this, uh, at least in the, in the realm of free will, which is near occasion of sin. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's an old concept, but it's, yeah. it's actually true. Like, uh, some people say we got to uh, change our playgrounds and our playmates. That's another <laughs> down-to-earth expression, but it's but it's helpful. Pretty common so sense we, stuff, right? Well, yeah. well, it is, but it's very difficult to do because habits uh, take a couple months to really change. It, it's not going to happen in a in a week or two. Uh, so we have to. So if we can look at well, what are the cues? Like I've got a bad habit. Uh, like uh, some examples would be. Uh, if there's smokers listening, there's fewer smokers now, but they're still out there, right? And maybe people are vaping. So just to think about, well, what are what's the time of day that I want to do that? Sometimes it's after somebody's eaten. It's a stress reliever for a lot of people, and nicotine kind of helps with that. So maybe taking a break in the afternoon, or I've, I've had an argument with my significant other, and I want to go outside and smoke a cigarette because it does something. It it makes me it brings down, de-escalates all that tension, and I feel better for a minute. Now the problem is, smoking particularly, you know, has a lot of risk to it. But all these behaviors that we we want to change generally they have negative consequences, and you know we call them ugly coping. So they work short term, but they wear off. Like marijuana wears off after a couple hours. Drinking helps us to get to sleep. It doesn't really keep us asleep. Uh, even you know, getting into an argument. Like, so another one is these things don't necessarily come out of the blue. If I get angry with somebody road rage or I yell at my kid, it's generally, that's the tail end of a lot of things that have built up. And what I'm not doing is I'm not taking action steps. I'm not changing my behavior soon enough. So I've been irritated for a while. I'm stressed. And then it bubbles over. Like I leave something on the stove and I don't watch it and it's going to bubble over. So it just didn't happen out of the blue. Uh, so those are so just being aware, like what's the time of day? What's my mood? Uh, you know, am I lonely? Am I stressed? What am I doing to take care of that? And is what I'm doing uh, to re- relieve that? Is it helping or hurting in the long run? Right. So I think those those are a couple of things. Now changing the environment, and and you have had speakers on, say for uh, the example of a porn habit. Uh, or, you know, looking on, on the internet is so, you know, we can get, we can change the environment by getting some filters that block out certain sites, or we can, you know, make it harder to get to. If my problem is I like to snack between meals or have ice cream before I go to bed, I can make it harder to get to. I don't bring it into the house. I lock it up. I make it a little bit more inaccessible. So that's not going to work completely, but that's one behavioral habit, you know, way that I can change things. The other ones in terms of building better habits, Matt, is again, we can use the same thing. So cues. So there's, you know, a time of day or a mood. And if I start asking myself, if I'm feeling stressed, what am I currently doing most of the time to relieve that stress? What would be a replacement? So I, I, I'm big on saying you're never going to have much luck just saying, I'm going to stop this habit. I'm going to remove this habit because then you got a vacuum. So we need to put something in that place. Like another example of that would be during Lent, people are trying to work on their prayer life, maybe a little bit more, but maybe they get distracted. So it's in the evening and another way of ugly coping. I'm just going to scroll through TikTok. I'm going to look at cute little cat videos before I go to sleep, which really doesn't help me to go to sleep. So instead of that, maybe I set an alarm. That's a cue a half hour before I, I want to go to bed. And then I just disconnect from all the media, turn my phone off, put it away. And instead of that, maybe I just take that 10, 15, 20 minutes to pray. I say the rosary, 
I look at a passage from scripture. I do a little reflection on the day. I do a gratitude list. So that's a good replacement. So I'm doing something which gives me immediate relief, the being on TikTok, but I'm replacing it with something. It's something I really want to do. It's a goal to get closer to our Lord, but I have to have some way to remind myself to do that because that's one of our big problems as human beings. We forget, like St. Paul and St. James says, we look in the mirror, we see what we look like, and we walk away and we have no idea what no, we just No, I don't even remember. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up the example of smoking because for the people who in this listening audience mm -hmm. perhaps have like the set times per day. They didn't even like have maybe not even realized or recognized or identified mm -hmm. the times per day uh, mm -hmm. that they're smoking. But like uh, you pull out of the driveway, you get on the road maybe, and then mm -hmm. you light up. Well, what if mm -hmm. you reassociated that with like, you get out of the driveway, you pull out, you say a prayer to St. Michael, the archangel, <laughs> you know I mean? These are yeah. the things that, yeah. you know, there are so many, you, you name a habit. It could be any habit. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. There's this point in your day when you do it. Right. It's after yep. a meal or before a meal or right after you wake right. up. I mean, all these are opportunities where we can swap out stuff that we're doing that we wish we weren't doing. Yeah. Uh, and we just have to be stuff. intentional, Matt. It's hard to keep that intention. Like you said, at the beginning of the program, we were going to fall down, but we get back to that intention. And then we use prayer. You know, God, help me to deal with this habit. It's really hard to change. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Pastoral Counselor Kevin Prendergast. Another Thanks, full man. hour coming up. It's three till. On this leap day, Thursday, the 29th of February, let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord of life, grant life to all. For those who are rich in this world's goods, we pray that they may find blessing and generosity to the poor and hungry. For those who are rich in the gifts of the mind, we pray that they may find blessing in putting their abilities to work for the common good. We pray for those who are rich in the gifts of the heart, that they might find blessing by loving those who are unlovable and unloved. O oh God, you love the world so much that you gave your only begotten Son for our salvation. Grant that we who have received such a gift from you may withhold from those in need no gift that lies within our power to give through Christ our Lord. Lord, make us instruments of your financial benefit, of your intellectual benefit, of your compassion. Help us to recognize those gifts in our lives that we have to give and help us understand how best to give them. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ackerman at, at the controls. And it's a Thursday, so be sure to check the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Not just because you can see a video feed from Travis. He's got it up on Facebook and YouTube. But also because Thursdays are Rita Heikenfeld days. And we got a couple of recipes uh, those of you who are subscribers to the Sunrise Morning Show mailing list already got those in your inbox. I'm Matt Swaim, and up this hour, not only will we talk to Dr. John Bergsma uh, about salvation history and the role that love plays in it, we'll get that recipe, that meatless Lenten recipe from Rita Heikenfeld. We'll also catch up with Gary Machuda, more thoughts on his book, The Gospel Truth, on the reliability of the gospel narratives. And uh, later this hour, we will check in with Courtney Brown with more thoughts on how to 
uh, explain the principles behind theology of the body to middle schoolers and elementary schoolers as well. So please do stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Paul's not going to hit the button until I say it. It's a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Good morning. Pope Francis is back at the Vatican today after going back to the hospital for some tests yesterday. The Holy Father met yesterday morning with bishops of the Armenian Catholic Church and was also present for his weekly general audience. In both cases, he had an aide read his address. After the general audience, the Holy See press office says he went back to he went to nearby Gemelli Hospital for tests, but they did not reveal any further information about his condition. He is back at the Vatican today. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis offered more prayers for people suffering from war and violence around the world. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Non dimentichiamo i popoli che soffrono a causa della guerra. Let us not forget the peoples who are suffering on account of war, Pope Francis said. He noted especially the people of Ukraine and of Palestine and Israel, but also so many others afflicted by violence around the world. E preghiamo per le vittime dei recenti attacchi contro luoghi di culto in Burkina Faso. Pope went on to call for prayers for victims of recent terror attacks in Burkina Faso. On Sunday, 15 worshippers were killed in an attack on a church in the northern part of the country, while a second attack on a mosque in the eastern part of the country on the same day left dozens of people dead. In a telegram sent on Monday, the Pope expressed the deep affliction felt on hearing of the attacks and assured members of the Catholic and Muslim communities of his closeness and his shared pain. Recalling that hate is not the solution for conflicts, the Pope went on to urge respect for sacred places and called for a fight against violence aimed at the promotion of the values of peace. Pope Francis on Wednesday also called for prayers for the people of Haiti, where crimes and kidnappings by armed gangs continue. According to a recent U.N. report, more than a 1,000 people were killed, injured, or kidnapped in Haiti in January, making it the bloodiest month for the Caribbean nation in almost two years. Just last week, six religious brothers and a priest were kidnapped in the Haitian capital of Port-au-Prince. I'm Christopher Wells. The Supreme Court will decide whether former President Donald Trump can claim immunity over election interference charges. The former president took to Truth Social to thank the Supreme Court, saying that legal scholars are extremely thankful for the decision. He added that without immunity, a president will not be able to function properly. In a brief order, SCOTUS said it would hear arguments and issue a ruling. The case is currently on hold, so no trial can happen. The hearing will take place the week of April 22nd. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin will be grilled in a congressional hearing today over his decision to not tell President Biden about his recent surgery. Austin had prostate surgery back in January and failed to tell President Biden or the Pentagon for several days. The retired four-star Army general has apologized for how he handled the matter. He'll be facing questions from the Republican-led House Armed Services Committee today. Meanwhile, congressional leaders have reached a deal for a short-term funding extension to prevent a partial government shutdown on Saturday. 
Mark Mayfield reports. The House is expected to vote Thursday on a bill for temporary funding. The Senate will then vote shortly after. It is expected to pass in the House, but may face some hurdles in the Senate. The deal would stop a potential shutdown this Friday of around 20 percent of the government, with a new funding deadline of March the 8th for that 20 percent and March the 22nd for the other 80 percent. I'm Mark Mayfield. The video game company Electronic Arts is cutting about 5% of its workforce. The company announced layoffs yesterday, saying it's part of a plan that includes stopping work on some video games. The company's annual report last year indicated that it had 13,400 employees, so about 670 jobs could be affected by these cuts. In a memo to employees, CEO Andrew Wilson said the company is streamlining its operations to deliver, quote, deeper more connected experiences for fans everywhere. Matt. Okay. Deeper, more connected I, I experiences. I want less connected. I just want. I want. I want just. Uh, if I'm going to play a video game, I want it to not consume me. I want Super Mario, or. Wait, Super Mario Brothers? Yeah, super, or sorry, Mario Super Brothers, Mario Brothers. Or Super Mario 2 or 3. I mean, um, 3 is the best. That's kind of hard to deny. Yeah, yeah, Super Mario 3. You want to know something kind of weird? I like About Sonic the history the of the Coming Home Network and regarding um, electronics companies? Oh, I can't wait. So uh, Marcus Groda, as you know, founded the Coming Home Network in 1993, having been a Protestant pastor, a Presbyterian mm-hmm. pastor, for a number of years. And... When you're pre- well, I mean, Dr. Bergsman knows this. When you're a Protestant pastor and you leave to become Catholic, you got to figure out some stuff to do. Well, there are a few things that Marcus found to do, but one of them was the invention of a game called Notability, which was like a name that tune game. Uh, it was released through, I believe, Ability. Tiger Electronics. And it came with like this little mini piano, and you would draw a card, and it would have like some standard tune, like uh, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. And you would have it was it was designed for people who didn't know how to do music. You would have like the one, two, five, whatever it was, the sure. keys on the thing. You would have to punch them in, and your partner would have to guess, like charades, what tune you were playing. Marcus invented this game, sold it to Tiger Electronics, and that's how he initially survived in his first years wow. after leaving. Do you happen a Presbyterian to, pastor? Do you happen to know, like, just ballpark, how much money he made from that? Probably not very much, but I think it's on eBay if you want to go find one. Hmm. Dr. Bergsmo, what did you do? Uh, you know, you went I wasn't back to nearly school, so right? creative. <laughs> yeah, I went and taught theology. It's kind of prosaic. Yeah. <laughs> but also very, very useful. Indeed. I guess. To yeah. those of us who uh, benefit from such things. Well. I, maybe I should have done lumberjacking. Maybe that <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah, or tugboat captain. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to be talking yeah. about boats again today, so, you know, not bad. Not yep. bad. Not a bad uh, profession to choose, that's for sure. But no. we're glad you're in the profession that you are in. Dr. John Bergsma is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Doc, welcome back. Thank you, Anna. Great to be with you. It is great to have you. And we're going to be talking about the lessons for our marriages today that, uh, you know, we can take away from Bible stories 
that include marriage. Um, today, we're going to be looking at the patriarchs Noah and Abraham. And Doc, I was uh, going back in Genesis chapter five when Noah first comes on the scene, and I don't remember noticing this before. So Noah's dad was named Lamech. And I thought as I was reading this, wait, Lamech? He's the bad guy, isn't he? In like in, in Genesis. And then I realized there are two Lamechs. Can you am I right? Right? They're not yes. they're not the same Lamech. That's they're so not interesting. The same Lamech. Yeah. No, there's the good Lamech and there's the bad Lamech. Well, tell us about the bad Lamech, because he plays into this uh, a little bit, what we're going to be talking about with Noah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Bible tells us that the first bigamist was this evil Lamech, who is the sixth generation from Cain. And he's discussed in Genesis 4, and what we find out about him is uh, how he calls in his two wives, and he brags to his wives that uh, he's killed men for insulting him. And, uh, like, what kind of sociopath, you know, does that kind of thing, bragging to his multiple women about how he's killed other guys? And there's that undercurrent of threat there that you women better stay in line, otherwise I might do the same to you. So... The Bible shows us that the first guy that got the bad idea to take more than one wife uh, was really a wicked dude uh, from the line of Cain and claims to be seven times worse, in fact, than his ancestor. So I think the Bible's trying to tell us something like this is not a good idea, did not come from a good source. Not a good idea to divide your heart, huh? Not at all, because the the balance of that husband-wife relationship that we see so beautifully described in Genesis 2 as complementarity, you know, it's, it's God makes a help for Adam that is complementary to him. It's probably the best way to translate the Hebrew there. And uh, very literally, it's, um, Eve is described as one who is like and facing Adam, if you break down the, the Hebrew there, like and facing, which uh, comes out kind of with the concept of complementary in, um, in English. So yeah, so that balance, that reciprocity, that uh, two persons looking into each other's eyes, that dynamic of marriage uh, doesn't work when you start adding in other people. So what does this have to do with Noah, the other Lamech's son? Yes. So what we find is Lamech starts that practice, and by the time we get to Genesis 6, it has proliferated so much, that's where we read the sons of God, who are the line of Seth, take to wife uh, the daughters of men, um, such as they choose, which means as many as they wanted. Mm. So you get this proliferation of polygamy, and it just it, it causes violence and social chaos, because probably bad parenting and, um, you know, having too many children with too many women and not being a good father to that big brood, etc. And um, so that provokes the flood, and God sends the flood. And then when we look at the ark 
um, Anna, everything and everyone that gets on the ark is monogamous, mm-hmm. even the animals, right? They all go in two by two. Adam and his three sons go in with their wives. So that's why I like to say the flood is the vindication of monogamy. Yeah. Yeah, and so then the earth repopulated. We get to Abraham, the other patriarch, and I want to kind of tie this all together in a moment here, but can you tell us the lesson that we glean from Abraham for marriage today? Sure. Abraham expends a great deal of effort to make sure that his son Isaac uh, marries within the faith. So he doesn't just tell Isaac, hey, you know, go to the local bar at Shechem and see if you can (laughs) find some good-looking, you know, girl. You know, he he sends his chief butler out to the family homeland to intentionally look for, you know, a bride who shares uh, the faith of the family. And, you know, this is something that we neglect, I think, in, in American Catholic culture. We don't you know, talk to our kids about the importance of being intentional about dating and, um, you know, looking for somebody who, who shares the faith, who loves Christ in the Eucharist. And uh, maybe, too, I think that we have a, as Catholics, we have a, a, a cheerful, optimistic notion about other Christian groups and what they think about us. But I'll tell you, Anna, you know, as, as having come from the other side, there's not a lot of affection for Catholics uh, among uh, Protestant uh, groups within the U.S., and it usually comes out later in a marriage if young people uh, decide to have a mixed marriage. But in Abraham, again, tremendous effort. Make sure we uh, marry to the faith so that um, that uh, trust and that relationship with the Lord continues to the next generation and the generation beyond. Well, and all of this because marriage, God sets up to tell us more about him and his desire for us. So you marry outside of the faith, you're going to be marrying pagans who don't have their hearts set on God, right? And and if your heart is divided, then uh, what does that tell us ultimately about God? It tells us a lie, doesn't it? Yes. That unity, you know, that they may all be one as you, Father, and I are one. You know, that unity of the Trinity should be reflected in a, in a kind of perfect unity between husband and wife. The book is called Love Basics for Catholics. It's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Doc, I wish we had more time to unpack it, but thank you so much for your thoughts this morning. Absolutely. Talk to you next time. Sounds good. All right, 17 past. We're back with headlines right after this. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian Prayer Series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. 
God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. EWTN Radio is seeking a dynamic radio producer to join the EWTN Radio team in Irondale, Alabama. The right candidate will be a passionate, multi-skilled, talented professional who can manage and direct all aspects of producing world-class radio broadcasts and play an integral part in Mother Angelica's mission. For all the details about this exciting opportunity, visit EWTN.com and click on Employment at the bottom of the page. 19 past, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis is back at the Vatican today after heading to the hospital yesterday for some tests. The Holy Father did keep his general audience and in his catechesis focused on the sins of envy and vainglory as he continued his series on virtue and vices. And congressional leaders have reached a deal for a short-term funding extension. You know, the Sunrise Morning Show doesn't have very many things to sell. We have mostly just stuff to give to you for free. Right. But among the things that we have to give you for free are recipes, lint and meatless recipes. Uh, one of those is coming up here in a minute with Rita Heikenfeld. Maybe you are caught in this routine of cheese pizza and grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup and fish sticks for tomorrow. Rita's got some ideas for you coming up in the next segment. But if you want to subscribe to the Sunrise Morning Show mailing list... All you got to do is go to sunrisemorningshow.com, enter your email, and every morning you'll get not only the links to the guests we talk to, the prayers that we share, but once a week you get a couple of different recipes from Rita Heikenfeld. Anna Mitchell, I know you want to break out of your routine. Rita's got coming up next hour. Next hour? You mean next? Next hour. Next next segment. (laughs) Next two two and a half minutes. She's got an upscaled grilled cheese sandwich recipe that I think you're going to want to pay attention to. Oh, I'm pumped. I know you just like lay in a couple of slices of American cheese. No, I don't do American cheese. a couple cheese. pieces of white bread. Colby Jack on Colby Jack. Oh, you're wheat. already upscaling it. Colby Jack on wheat. Wait till you hear what Rita's got to say about how to upscale Oof. your grilled cheese. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. She's also got a veggie stromboli recipe. That's coming up after the break. Cool. It's 21 minutes past the hour. To get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes, when you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me. 
Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. O come, Creator Spirit, come, and make within our souls thy home. Supply thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. O gift of God most high, thy name is Comforter, whom we acclaim. The fount of life, the fire of love, the soul's anointing from above. The sevenfold gift of grace is thine, thou finger of the hand divine. The Father's promise true to teach, thy light to every sense impart, pour forth thy love in every heart. Our weakened flesh do thou restore, to strength and courage evermore. Drive far away our ghostly foe, thine own abiding peace bestow. If thou dost go before as guide, no evil can our steps betide. Through thee may we the Father learn, and know the Son, and thee discern, who art of both, and thus adore, in perfect faith forevermore. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Henry Steffen. It is time for Bible Foods, and if there's only one reason, I mean, there are multiple reasons, but if you only have one reason to go subscribe to the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com, it's so that once a week you can get recipes from Rita Heikenfeld, especially during Lent when some of us are trying to get out of our creative ruts uh, and make good meatless recipes uh, that are healthy and tasty and get the job done while also uh, sticking to what we're trying to do during Lent, which is to kind of Put some things off to the side and do things a little different. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning. Boy, you just said it all right there, Matt. I'm telling you, you're about to say some more because we're going to talk about cheese (laughs) in the Bible. And uh, some people are like, cheese in the Bible? Where in the world is cheese in the Bible? Oh, my goodness. It's mentioned quite a bit. Um, You think one of the places in in 2 Samuel in chapter 17 um, cheese was offered as an uh, entertainment food when David was offered cheese, among other things, after he spent many days in the wilderness. And when you think of cheese as an ancient food, um, yeah, people were making use of what they called curdled milk to make into cheese. And the reason is there wasn't any, you know, we didn't have a lot of refrigeration back then. And the, the protein that people got from cheese, especially during that time, was really important because unless you were really wealthy, meat wasn't, you know, a regular part of your diet. So um, I always think necessity being the mother of invention, it, uh, you know, their dairy was made into cheese and, of course, yogurt. So, yeah, it was really an important part of their food diet. Well, and you've said this before when we've talked about beef and uh, other things related to livestock. Uh, your cow is not just a source of protein and meat. It's also an employee. So, <laughs> you know, you're more likely to want milk and cheese from that cow than you are beef because if you slaughter it for, well, as you mentioned when we talked about the prodigal son a few weeks mm-hmm. back, you slaughter the fatted calf, well, suddenly you don't have a milk source anymore. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, these, are, sure. these are important things. But uh, when it comes to cheese, uh, a lot of us probably have some cheese in our fridge, and we've wondered uh, if it gets a little green around the edges. Do we throw the whole thing out, or is there something we can do? Well, first of all, if it gets a, you know, a little bit of molt, I just trim that off if, it, if it's not through the center. But here's a tip. Um, for most cheeses, if you put a little bit of vinegar onto cheesecloth or a paper towel and then wrap your cheese in, in that and then in your plastic wrapper foil, what happens is the vinegar provides like an acid shield, and it's not going to make the cheese taste funny like um, vinegar, Matt, 
but it will stop mold from forming. So with these, you know, food prices so high, that's really a good tip. Just a little vinegar on a cheesecloth or paper towel, wrap your cheese in it, and then wrap it as you would normally. No need to throw it out. Uh, there's Mm-mm. still some good in that cheese, especially if you got one of those bricks, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Bricks of yes. cheddar uh, that you might get uh, that are, you know, a pound of cheese. You No need to throw the whole thing out just because one corner got green. You can uh, you can remedy that. But, you know, read it during this time of year, it's Lent, and we are trying to remind ourselves of the fasting that Jesus did in the desert, the sacrifice to come during Holy Week, uh, and, and we're holding off on stuff, right? We're cutting things out of our diet, but cheese is one of those things that does make an appearance pretty prominently during Lent, whether it's mac and cheese at your parish fish fry with the Knights of Columbus, grilled cheese sandwiches, cheese pizza, what have you, but you've got a vegetarian stromboli recipe uh, yeah. that seems pretty fascinating. I want to hear more about it. Well, and I thought for you and Annie and, and all of our, our listeners and readers with um, kids, young or older, this is really perfect because you're going to start off with about a pound of pizza dough. And on my side, I have a recipe for homemade, or you can buy it, no big deal. And then what you're going to do, you're going to roll it out um, into a circle or a rectangle about fourth, a fourth of an inch thick. And then um, you're going to mix some mozzarella cheese and some gruyere or really your favorite cheeses, a little oregano and basil because those go good with the mozzarella and gruyere, and then a little garlic. I usually use one clove mince. You could do some garlic powder. So you got about eight ounces total of cheese, about half a teaspoon each of uh, dried oregano and some dried basil and a little garlic. And then what you do is you just mix that up in a bowl and you just place it on the dough, leave a border, um, and then if you've got any spinach or other greens, even the mixed salad greens in the fridge, you want to chop some of those up really fine, sprinkle that on top. And then basically you just roll that dough into a cylinder and you start at the long end and then uh, tucking, you tuck the ends under securely, of, of course. And then you just place that seam side down on a parchment lined or sprayed baking sheet um, I like to brush it with some olive oil, and you just bake it in a hot oven, 425, about 25 minutes. Um, we cool it a little bit before slicing, and I'm telling you what, it is so good. Um, and I was thinking you probably, instead of just serving the stromboli, you'd have a little bowl of pizza sauce or something for the kids to dip into. That's not a bad idea. Get some tomato sauce and maybe add your own oregano and basil to that as well. You know, mm-hmm. what's what's cool, Rita, and we've talked about this before, and Annie and I talk about this all the time, like how do you smuggle vegetables into a dish mm-hmm. so, so kids don't notice? I mean, you can smuggle bell peppers into this one real easy. You know, you can smuggle... Uh, you know, some some even sliced like asparagus or something into something like this pretty easily, and your kids think pizza or pizza roll, and it goes right by, and they don't even notice. That's that's really true, and especially if you slice them up thin. And plus, when you do something green or red like a bell pepper, um, it adds some color. Oh, the to color's it too. so cool! Yeah. yeah, you also have, and I was telling Annie about this just a moment ago, you have a sophisticated grilled cheese sandwich which involves uh, shredded Swiss, shredded uh, gruyere, which is usually used in French onion soup, shredded white or yellow cheddar, some mayo, some Dijon. If you want to upscale your cheese sandwich game, head over to sunrisemorningshow.com, find Rita's recipe, and find more of her recipes at abouteating.com. Rita, thank you as always for helping us to uh, figure out Lenten Fridays a little bit better. 
Well, that's wonderful. And I knew you'd love that sophisticated grilled cheese. And I'll talk to you next week, Matt. Sounds great. I love the fact that you got arugula thrown onto this grilled cheese. (laughs) Of course. It's a pretty good upgrade. Find it all at sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Pope Francis is back at the Vatican after going back to the hospital for some tests yesterday. The Holy Father met yesterday with the bishops of the Armenian Catholic Church and then was present for his weekly general audience. In both cases, he had an aide read his address. He apologized to the faithful at the general audience, saying that he still had a bit of a cold. After the audience, the Holy See press office says he went to nearby Jameli Hospital for tests, but the press office did not reveal any further information about his condition. The Holy Father is back at the Vatican. At his general audience yesterday, the Pope continued his series on virtue and vices in the catechesis, focusing this week on the sins of envy and vainglory. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. Dangerous vices are envy and vainglory, but there are remedies to combat each. Speaking first about envy, the Pope recalled that the sin, even as early as in the story of Cain and Abel, proved to be a destructive force fueled by resentment toward others that often leads to deadly hatred. At envy's basis, the Holy Father suggested is a relationship of hate and love. One desires evil for the other, but secretly desires to be like him. At the root of this vice, the Pope noted, is a false idea of God, where we do not accept that God has his own math different from ours. The remedy to envy, the Pope suggested, lies in St. Paul's exhortation. Love one another with brotherly affection. Compete in esteeming one another. Meanwhile, vainglory, which is excessive or ostentatious pride, especially in one's own achievements, he said, is marked by an inflated self-esteem and a craving for constant praise. This, and the Holy Father pointed out, goes hand in hand with the demon of envy. To combat this vice, the Pope suggested following St. Paul's example of boasting of his weakness rather than achievements, which offers an effective way for overcoming vainglory. Pope Francis urged the faithful to imitate St. Paul in knowing that God's grace is sufficient since his power is made perfect in weakness. As we accept and even embrace our weaknesses, the Holy Father suggested, the power of Christ will set us free for a more generous love of others. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The Supreme Court will decide whether former President Donald Trump can claim immunity over election interference charges. The former president took to Truth Social to thank the Supreme Court, saying legal scholars are extremely thankful for the decision. He added that without immunity, a president will not be able to function properly. In a brief order, SCOTUS said it would hear arguments and issue a ruling. The case involving Trump is currently on hold, so no trial can happen. The hearing will take place the week of April 22nd. The planned execution of a convicted killer in Idaho was stopped yesterday after medics were unable to establish an IV for the lethal drugs. Medics made eight attempts to start an IV on Thomas Creech to no avail. The Idaho Department of Corrections warden then stepped in to stop the execution. Creech was convicted of five murders in three states and also killed an inmate, which led to his death sentence. Russian President Vladimir Putin is delivering his State of the Nation address to Russia's Houses of Parliament today. 
Mark Mayfield reports. The speech at the Federal Assembly will be delivered to about 1,000 Russian lawmakers and officials. Putin said last week that the speech will set Russia's goals for the next six years and will take into account the internal political calendar. The Russian leader is expected to win next month's presidential election as he's facing no opposition. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Food and Drug Administration says food packaging that contains harmful, long-lasting chemicals will no longer be sold in the United States. Trey Thomas reports. Man-made chemicals called PFAS, commonly known as forever chemicals, don't break down and have been associated with serious health risk. On Wednesday, the FDA announced food packages that contain these forever chemicals will no longer be sold nationwide. I'm Trey Thomas. The video game company Electronic Arts is cutting about 5% of its workforce. The company announced the layoffs yesterday saying it's part of a plan that includes stopping work on certain video games. The company's annual report last year indicated it had 13,400 employees, so about 670 jobs could be affected by the cuts. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. Giving up coffee for Lent? Look no further than the Mystic Monks for a great selection of their Mystica tea to get you through the season. And when you shop their site for tea or coffee, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, check out our online store where you can purchase Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Find our mugs and link to Mystic Monk coffee and tea at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. A number of biblical passages refer to the plant world. Jesus, for example, observed that simple flowers in the field are more beautiful than the royal robes of King Solomon. The prophet Isaiah said that our mortal lives are as vulnerable as the grass on the ground. One plant that appears quite frequently in the Bible is the grapevine. The most famous instance is probably the Lord's teaching that he is the vine and we are the branches. You'll find that in chapter 15 of John's Gospel. Isaiah had that famous song of the vineyard in chapter 5 of his book where God planted all the best but got nothing in return. In the Psalter, Psalm 80 pleads with God to take care of the vineyard of Israel. It reads, you brought a vine out of Egypt, but now the wild boar tears it up. So look down from heaven and have regard on this vine. It's little wonder the grapevine is a common feature in our churches. So next time you're in the church this Sunday, look around for it and spend some time reflecting on that image and let it turn you to prayer. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. It is Leap Day. Happy birthday to those of you who only get one birthday every four years. Hope you get four times the cake, four times the ice cream, four times the whatever it is that they put in your birthday cards. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Machuda. He's the author of a, num a number of books, uh, including The Gospel Truth, which is all about verifying the reliability of the gospel accounts. Gary, good morning. 
Morning, Matt. So we have gone through a bunch of different things related to how to verify ancient texts, but let's go to a specific uh, historical library of texts, the Jewish prophecies. Now, there are a lot of people who came along uh, between the book of Daniel and the first century BC who fulfilled certain aspects of them, but Jesus kind of fulfills some really bizarre things in these Jewish prophecies. Like, how does his life help to uh, kind of oddly verify some of these prophecies? Yeah, well, um, specifically, if you remember way back, Matthew, when we started talking about this book, the first prophecy I brought up was Daniel 7, where he has this night vision of the Son of Man, and the Son of Man ascends to the Ancient of Days, and he's given dominion and glory over all peoples, nations, languages, will serve them. Actually, the word serve there means worship, and dominion that will last forever. And uh, in the first century, uh, the Jews understood that, and also the timetable given in Daniel, that the Son of Man figure, this Messiah, is going to be coming in the first century. In fact, they staked their lives on it. They rose up in revolt against uh, the Roman Empire that was occupying Judea in the first Jewish revolt, and ultimately it was a failed revolt. Uh, the temple was destroyed, and uh, you know the Jews underwent uh, ter- terrible persecution. So, uh, you know, who is this figure that was to come? Was Daniel a false prophecy, um, or was it a true prophecy? Well. You know, what I love in apologetics is when you can argue with premises that can't be denied. And one of the things that we can't deny is that today, 2,000 years after the fact, there's only one figure, Jewish or Gentile, that could possibly have fulfilled Daniel's prophecy, and that's Jesus Christ, because Jesus now is being proclaimed as king in every nation, every tongue, and has been proclaimed for over 2,000 years, and it doesn't seem like it's going to stop anytime soon. And I, I think that that itself is a remarkable verification that what the Gospels record has to be looked at very carefully as being true. All right, so if we're going to look at the book of Daniel, we have to look at this weird passage where there's this dream, this vision of a statue, and it's uh-huh. made out of different materials in various parts of the statue. But at the end of the day, somebody, not a human, bowls a stone, a rock, at this statue statue, and knocks everything down. So I want you to maybe take a look at that statue, if you can, how it was constructed, and fast-forward us to Matthew chapter 16 and help us understand what in the world is going on. Okay. Uh so Danny has yet another dream, and it's the statue that's comprised of various parts. And each part of the statue represents uh, a nation that will subjugate Judaism. So the, the very top is Babylon. Then you have the Persians who wipe out the Babylonians. Then eventually the Greeks or the Seleucids come. And all these and are made out of occupy. different materials, right? The, yes, each one is exactly. represented by a different kind of material. Yeah. Yeah, you got bronze, you got gold, you got silver. And and then the last part of the statue is the feet, and the feet is clay, but it's like mixed with different material. And that symbolizes the last empire to subjugate the Jews, which is, of course, the Roman Empire, which is probably yet another reason why first-century Jews 
we're looking for the Messiah because the last empire has come, according to Daniel. And like you mentioned, there is this mysterious rock that's hewn without aid of human hands, and it it crushes the statue. But what's interesting, it, it hits the feet of the statue. So this, uh, you know, the Messiah is likened in Scripture to a, rock, a stone, a stone that will cause stumbling, a precious stone. This this stone hits the statue at its feet, and it crumbles down. And what happens is once the statue is destroyed, a huge mountain grows from that place. And where's the place? The place is Rome, you know, the center of the Roman Empire. And it fills the entire earth, kind of coalescing with what he says in 7, with uh, this universal empire that will grow. Okay, now fast forward to the New Testament. Uh we have, interesting enough, Jesus, the, the true stone, the Messiah, comes, and he makes one of his apostles, Simon Peter, to be a stone for the future church. And we talked a lot about that in the book, because in Matthew sixteen sixteen through 19, where Jesus changes Peter's name to, to Rock and gives him the keys of the kingdom, that this has been layered with formatting. There's like Many, many layers of formatting, from word plays to four-beat rhythms to topical formatting. You know, this is a passage of Scripture Jesus really wanted to be memorized. And, you know, as we fast-forward through history, what do we find? We find Peter travels to Rome, he dies in Rome, and the Bishop of Rome, from that point on, becomes the head of the Church. All right, so this is the kind of stuff that you make me think about whenever you come on for these segments. So Jesus gets referred to repeatedly as the son of David. What does David do? What's his most famous kind of like conquesting act? He hits Goliath with a rock in the head, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Where does Jesus give authority to human beings to carry out his missions? Well, it's it's in Matthew sixteen eighteen where he tells Peter, um, upon this rock I'm going to build my church— and he accuses him and and warns him against being a stumbling block that somebody's foot will trip over. Uh, it is fascinating to me to see how all these things kind of play out and come together uh, once Jesus is actually in active ministry and putting all this stuff together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the whole idea of the Church being centered in Rome, you know, being an apologist over the years, uh, you know, if someone asked me why Rome, the only thing I could say is, well, that's where Peter died, and so just naturally it'd be Rome, not Antioch or any other place. But, you know, what's really cool, Matt, is in Daniel, we actually have a prophecy that where the rock hits that statue at the feet, you know, it's from that place that the mountain grows. And, of course, that's the Catholic Church that has spread throughout the world. So it's actually anchored in prophecy. I mean, if you don't want to start there and go down the rabbit hole, then I don't know where to tell you to start. I mean, this is <laughs> this is some incredible stuff. Uh, but, right. Gary, rather than go down another rabbit trail, uh, we, we'll, we'll save some of this stuff for next week. But in the meantime, if people want to find hands-on apologetics and find out more of the stuff that you've explored in regard to this, and, and really you've, you've just carried forth the patrimony of the Church on this stuff, how do they find your work? Yeah, just go to handsonapologetics.com or stpaulcenter.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Gary, thank you as always. Have a great day. You too, man. All right, quarter till. Anna Mitchell's back right after this.
Support is from MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. Giving up coffee for Lent? Look no further than the Mystic Monks for a great selection of their Mystica tea to get you through the season. And when you shop their site for tea or coffee, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, check out our online store where you can purchase Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Find our mugs and link to Mystic Monk coffee and tea at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Each weekday, we'll dive into the timeless teachings of our Catholic faith, drawing upon the wisdom of the ages to navigate the challenges of today. Together, we'll seek truth, find inspiration, and forge a deeper connection with God. I'm Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and I invite you to join me for Beacon of Truth, today at 4 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Keep it tuned Monday through Sunday to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. All through the weekend, you can hear great programs, including Word on Fire on Sunday afternoons, 4 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio, when Bishop Robert Barron illustrates the truth, beauty, and goodness of Catholicism, as he always does in his ministry. That's Word on Fire Sunday afternoons, 4 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Courtney Brown, Executive Director of the Ruwa Woods Institute. We've been getting many lessons on theology of the body based on their K-12 curriculum called Revealed. Courtney, welcome back. Oh, good morning. How are you? I am doing fine. And we're continuing to get some mini lessons from the fifth grade curriculum this morning And so, Courtney, there's this concept in theology of the body called original nakedness. And I am really impressed that you would venture to tackle a concept with the word naked in it with a bunch of giggly and, let's be honest, very awkward preteens. So, yeah, it's a great that's a great question. And, you know, the word the word nakedness for John Paul II, but even scripture, is not a reference to just being the bodily sense of it. Mm-hmm. It's actually, um, the way to look at it is more of a, the ability to see the entire person in its full integration of body-soul. So 
in essence, what it is, it's being able to see the person for who they are, also as long as seeing them and how they manifest themselves in their body. So it's not this idea of a four-year-old who just doesn't want to wear clothes. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not, JBT's clear on that. And, and actually what, what's interesting is um, he actually talks about this in a sense of, he calls it the dimension of the gift, or hermeneutics is the big scriptural scholar word, which is like the language that throughout the whole teaching, and this idea of what it what it means to be gifted. And I'm just going to just give you an idea of what, he, what he's trying to do here is show us the complete gratuitous nature of God creating us out of nothing. That there's no, we didn't ask for it. We, it, we didn't even anticipate it. It's not like we knew Christmas was coming. Um, and the only analogy I could give to it is if when you were a kid or, or even with your own kids, if you just decided to buy them something, and, and I don't mean to be consumeristic per se, but it's an, it's an analogy, so it does fall short, but like if you just, you know, if your husband just woke up and just, you know, bought a cruise for you, and you're like, we're going on a cruise, and you didn't know, you would just be blown away, right? Mm-hmm. And if a kid's like, you know, I just bought my kids, like, I know this is going to sound terrible, but if I bought them a gaming system, and I was like, and just bought it and brought it to them, they would just be blown out of their mind. Oh, yeah. So so in essence, when when Adam awakes, it, it this, that's the mindset, but in a sense of like a complete, like, whoa, what is this? Like, you come yeah. into being that way, and then still sensing a certain type of ache in a way of like there's something still missing, and then it he give you get to sleep, and then all of a sudden you know he gives you your counterpart, and or if you want to be real like a counter hole, and you like finally bone my bone and flesh my flesh. Mm. Adam and Eve's ability to see each other in their entire person is they, in the beginning they were able to do that, and JP two talks about this original echo that it's still in there, um, sin has distorted the gift, has distorted our vision of the other person. And what I mean by distortion is like sometimes we reduce the person oh. to, you know, um, a label, or we reduce them to what they're good at or what they're not good at. Um, that's all part of the fall. But if we reflect more, we still have within our hearts the ability to move w- with grace to seeing the person in their totality. For example, um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyons, but I remember taking my youth group on a mission trip, and we were visiting the Grand Canyons, and I was in the was in the youth group mode, minister mode, excuse me, and I was <laughs> rounding all the kids. I didn't even look. Finally, I got them all on the bus. Everybody was accounted for because he had sight teeth. I was like, all right, I'll take I'll take five minutes, and I'll go take a look. And you know, twenty minutes later, I I, I sat there for twenty minutes, and he, and was just like. Well, wow. I was I was completely I was stopped I was stuck I didn't know what to say I was just completely transfixed in what was being the sight of this amazing thing and yeah. that's what God is asking of us to see in the person so this idea of original nakedness and helping the teams mm. learn how to move their eyes from seeing these labels or reductions our, our judgments, even though that judgments are not bad things per se, because that's how we, I mean, this is how we do things, but it's actually learning to see the other as Christ sees them. Um, like when Mother Teresa says, I see Christ in the poor, yeah. um, it's not a sentiment. So what we do is we do have an activity where they look at pictures of human people, and we guide them through discussion questions and like really looking and learning to use the eyes to see the other versus just themselves. Mm. So. You know, I I, want to look at Genesis chapter 3 for a second here, Courtney, because I think we let these familiar stories in the Bible just kind of 
wash over us. But here is Genesis chapter three. I'm starting with with verse six. So Eve has been, you know, having this conversation with the serpent and it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And so like I said, there. yeah, there's a lot here. And and we just let this story really wash over us. But I mean, of all of the things that a person could realize right after eating from the tree of knowledge, it's that we're naked. I mean, what does that teach us, Courtney, that well, that was their first really realization? There's three points I'll make here really quick. And I mean, we could uh, obviously can get into this further when we talk about other lessons, but three specific things. In that, in the essence of that story, they were already given the gift of seeing as, in a certain respect, God sees each other. Mm-hmm. And she was deceived into thinking something was not there. So she tried to take the gift that she was already given, right, to be in his image and likeness. So she... Uh, there's a taking the gift versus the reception of the gift. Um, and an analogous to that, it's essentially that when I talk to, when I would talk to fourth and fifth graders about this, it's like, you know, you can look at the look and sometimes the way we dress, there's a difference in the way we dress to attract versus dressing attractively. So like if you're dressing to attract the look from the other, it, it's about you versus just dressing for, the idea that um, you're just dressing attractively, right? So, mm-hmm. but even then, uh, for the kids, I even go even further into like the everyday theology of the body, if you will, of she, like taking someone's homework. Like you know, you instead of instead of actually just taking, I didn't do it. I'm just going to take the grade as it is. You know, you think you're doing an act of honor by giving it to your friend. No, and the temptation to ask your friend to. You know, that's what they, uh, Edwards, we would call like a mutual using, right? Like, it's like, mm-hmm. we have a friend, I have a friend that's going to help me here. So that's that second point, too, is like, we even have just, Genesis is always happening. This this story is always happening. Yeah. And the third thing in this, too, as well, what, what's essentially amazing about the, this is where redemption comes in, you know, is that God even know that when they're in that garden, and he gives them a confession, right? He says, "Wait, did you eat from the tree?" And they both, and they all give it. They all say, "No." You no, know, like, well, not no, but they make they up blame. excuses. Yeah, That's exactly right. Well, so we're gonna we're gonna have story. to leave it there for now. Maybe we can pick this up the next time, Courtney. Would that be all right? Yeah, certainly Ex- would. Excellent. We've got the Rua Woods Institute linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. So much more to unpack there from Revealed, their curriculum. Courtney, thank you. No problem. God bless you. You too. Thank you. All right. That's all the time we've got for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show today. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.